Welcome to Talking About Email, the podcast that tells you what's up in the world of email marketing. Brought to you by iContact. From the US to the UK, here are your hosts and email experts, John Hayes and Hank Hoffmeyer. Now let's get to talking about email. Cheers, y'all. Hey, this is John Hayes, and I'm joined with Hank Hoffmeyer. And welcome to Talking About Email Marketing. So, um, you're still in France, Hank. I am. I'm actually uh, in near um, Toulon today, which is probably the only town I can remember how to say. Uh, it's southern France. It's in Provence. Uh, I've been doing a lot of winery tours and uh, some places that make olive oil, which has been interesting because I love olive oil and getting it from where it's actually made is a big difference than buying it in a grocery store. I've been looking at your photographs jealously on um, on Facebook. I, I saw your photograph of some incredibly blue cheese this morning. Yeah, that was at a market here locally, and we had a picnic, and then I came here to the co-working space that I'm at. It's called Spotty, S-P-O-T-E-E. It's really cozy. It's a refurbished house turned into office space, and it's really, really cozy. They have an office dog and a bunch of creature comforts to enjoy. Hey, tell me a little bit about these co-working spaces you've been working. What, what, what sort of people are you working alongside? It's mostly just a lot of you know, French businessmen that are uh, looking to get some work done. Now, what's interesting is in Toulon, I noticed there was a lot of graphic designers. And here it's just more uh, average business people that are doing, uh, I haven't really like got into depth in conversation, but it looks like they're just doing busy work or reports and Excel and stuff like that. Okay, cool, cool. I'm seeing a lot of these places springing up all over the place. I was in um, in Budapest in Hungary uh, earlier in the year, and it seemed there was a co-working space on every street corner. And I think this is really good for the digital economy because a lot of digital startups form around the basis of one person and an idea. And sometimes you you've just got to put yourself with other people to, to, to be productive. You know, it's, it's okay working away at home or working away in your, in your office by yourself, but that can kind of get lonely. And, you know, the conversations you have with your co-entrepreneurs, I guess, they can you know, really steer your idea and, and push you in the right direction. All right. The, the only challenge for me and not anyone local was finding a place that's open late so that I can work U.S. hours. And that means at least until nine, but this place is, open till whenever I can leave and just lock the door behind me. Uh, the place in Toulon was open till 930. Uh, but there was a place that I was at in Carcassonne that was only open till 6pm. Therefore, I had to leave, you know, have my lunch or dinner here, uh, and then go back to the apartment and work from there. But like you said, they're springing up. Um, there was one on a Google map that we went to visit on a Sunday, uh, just to see if it was there, but it was actually just being built. They were just putting the drywall up. Therefore, it wasn't even in business yet. I think these um, are yeah, they're, they're great places to to, to network and uh, and to learn. And as you say, there's they're, they're not without their challenges. Um, yeah, particularly working late, and we, we spoke about this in, in last week's episode. But hey, you're in France now. You're not in the US, so it's it's all about learning how different cultures work. And yeah, it's it's a great experience. 
Right. And talking about you know, older cities as compared to the U.S., you know, I read in the news that the email has turned 40 and it's been around for a long time and it hasn't shown any signs of, uh, I guess, losing steam or power, if you call it that. Yeah, it's something I've, um, I talk about a lot when I go out and see clients and talk to them about the power of email marketing. Yeah, email marketing's 40. It predates the, um, the Internet as most of us know it. Um, and the first email marketing message was actually sent in 1978 um, by a guy called Gary Thurrock. Um, now, he worked for the company called DEC, and they made desktop computers, basically. And this was back in the day when yeah, people didn't even know what computers were. The very first email marketing message was sent over the ARPANET system, and it went out to about 400 names that was... Um, call from the ARPANET um, directory. You're back in the day, you could get a directory, a paper directory of everyone's email addresses. That's how small the, um, the internet as it became was um, at the time. It's kind of ironic, but the very first email marketing message was also the first spam message <laughs> as well. And um, yeah, Gary learned two things from this first send. Number one, email is an incredibly powerful marketing tool. Even though it only went out to 400 names, it generated around $13 million revenue for DEC, um, which is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you know, I don't know anybody that could generate that kind of money to that size of list. Now, obviously, back in the day, um, the people who had, e had email addresses, they were academics, they were scientists, they worked for government organizations, you know, so they had the budgets to spend on, on new computer systems, which, you know, back in the day were incredibly expensive. But the other thing that Gary learned as well was, you know, spam isn't tolerated. He generated a lot of complaints, and one of the complaints he received was from a gentleman who complained that his computer had become unusable because his piece of spam had you know, completely used up all the disk space on his computer. So one email, you rendered a computer absolutely useless, which I think shows how you know, technology has you know, evolved um, over you know, the, the, the previous few, few decades. Um, Gary actually received a phone call from an ARPANET administrator, um, you know, essentially chewing him out for sending the spam email and he promised never to do it again. But I kind of think that we should raise a glass in toast to Gary as the father of email marketing and not necessarily the, the father of spam as many people refer him to because he was just trying something new. And, you know, it really, really worked. And from that very first send in 1978, you know, email marketing evolved into what it is today. And as we've already discussed on this podcast, I believe now we're, we're entering a golden era for email marketing. Yeah, and I read an article that you wrote about that, and I feel the same way. I think that it's not losing any steam. There's still a lot of power. It allows you to be personal to so many people at once. And you know, I was six at the time when that first email was sent, and I can't believe it's been around for most of my life, and I never stop using it. It's something I use every single day. And even with Facebook, you know, having so many users and the other social media channels, email is still a go-to tool for communication. 
Yeah, I guess you know we're we're of a very similar age than Hank. So I, I think I was also six at the same age, um, same time as well. So uh, <laughs> I guess you can say that the only thing in technology that's older than email marketing is ourselves. And you know, hopefully, we'll still be going for a for a few years. Yeah, I, I can only hope. <laughs> now the thing is, um, as Gary learned, um, yeah, the thing that makes email marketing so successful today is, is permission. And, you know, and certainly in these days of GDPR, explicit permission. So, you know, don't think spam works because spam doesn't work. The only people spam really works for is, you know, those criminals who are sending millions and millions and millions of messages every single day. And, you know, even then, inbox technology is improving, the filtering is improving, and your legislation's improving, so they're not going to get away with it forever. So, um, right, stay positive. And, and many of those nefarious senders are, are finding out more and more that it's not as lucrative as it was, and they know it's a numbers game. And I see a lot of these affiliate type companies that are just sending nothing but affiliate. In other words, they don't have any products of their own. They're finding it hard to stay profitable. Therefore, they're going out of business pretty quickly. And you know, if you you think that buying lists or getting lists in, in a negative fashion and sending to it's going to make you a lot of money. You might want to have a backup plan and keep, uh, you know, another way of getting income that's probably going to be worth your time. Yeah. At the end of the day, legitimacy is the only way forward because marketing is all about solving problems. And um, if you're not solving a problem for somebody with your marketing messages, and if you're not sending your know, targeted, relevant, engaging campaigns out, um, it's not going to work for you. You're not solving anyone's problems. So, you know, if there is ever any revenue to be generated from these emails, it's you know, purely down to luck. And I guess you've also got to consider as well, you know, you can't con an honest person. Right. And there's a reason why people consume the content that we're creating, whether it's this podcast, blog posts, or whatever material that iContact puts out, puts out to help people with email marketing. It shows that people want to do things right, but they just don't know how. And it's just amazing that if you do the right things and follow general best practices, you end up having better results and making more money and getting that return on your investment. Yeah. So iContact is also celebrating a bit of an anniversary um, this year. I can't talk about it too much now, but uh, I will say we're not quite as old as email marketing itself. <laughs> We've been around for a while ourselves. And again, that's because you know, we help people solve um, their, their marketing problems, um, you know, helping them deliver honest, relevant, engaging, and timely campaigns. So what I will say is, while I cannot talk about what we're doing this year to celebrate our anniversary too much at the moment. Watch this space. You'll be the first to learn about it. Right. It's a big uh, anniversary and we want to celebrate it right. So stay tuned. Okay. So coming up um, in the next few days, I think it's about three days time. So it may be a couple of days after this podcast it hits the, it hits the net. We've got Amazon Prime coming up, which is you know, Amazon's um, attempt to create uh, a peak selling period in the summer months. And obviously they throw a lot of money at this. and A lot of online retailers get involved. But I wonder, is it a good thing or a bad thing? What are, what are your thoughts on, on Amazon Prime? Well, first thing I want to mention is my wife last night asked me, what is Amazon Prime Day? 
And I had to explain it to her. I thought, would have thought she already knew about that, but I guess she's not in the grasps of Amazon and or Amazon Prime with the two-day shipping, which I religiously use. But I think it's good for them and it's good for the consumer. But when it comes to small businesses, how do you compete during that time frame? How do you get your emails open? How do you get them read? And how do you sell the products or services that you need to sell when everybody's probably busy looking at the Amazon products and spending their money there and not really paying attention to the other retailers in the world? But I know that's Amazon's goal is to you know basically sell to everyone and sell everything to everyone. Therefore, I think it's a great move by Amazon, but... You know, if you're a small business owner, you need to find some kind of a unique way to get consumers' attention as well. Yeah, it's so, so difficult for, for these online retailers selling you know, via Amazon and, and other marketplaces like, like eBay as well, because obviously they provide a fantastic route to market. And Amazon, you know, I don't think there's a better company anywhere else in the world for their customer service and their, their support. You know, they really are on, on the customer's um, side. But, um, yeah, how do you compete with a, with a monster like Amazon? It's absolutely huge. And the other thing is, is it's, it's a bit like, you know, friendly local drug dealer. You know, they give the retailers all of these great sales, but they cost them a lot of money as well. Right. It's um, one thing to remember is, you know, it, it's an acquisition marketing channel and, as anyone that's been in marketing for any length of time will, will tell you, um, acquisition is a very expensive um, thing to do. Acquiring new customers is always more expensive than uh, retaining existing ones. And if you're selling on Amazon, you're paying that same acquisition price again and again and again. So that could be 17, 18, 19, 20% of every single sale. And you don't get to remarket to that customer that you'd want because essentially you're giving Amazon your, your customers. Well, I went to a market the other day, and I, I, hopefully I'm saying this right, Aux and Provence. And it was a nice little strip where they have a night market, and you can walk and go to the tables and look at what the, the vendors have to sell. And we came across this booth that had scented soap, and my wife said it'd be great to bring some back as a gift. And we bought three, and she said, do you need these wrapped as a gift? And we said, yes, in our best French or, you know, or French, English, whatever you want to call it. Um, she started wrapping all three together and we said, oh, sorry, those are actually separate gifts. And I said, oh, and we thought we were irritating the vendor, but she actually wrapped each one individually and beautifully, you know, with scissors, ribbon, clear plastic. And it was just an awesome experience. And that actually made us buy more to bring back just because we loved the way that they presented it as a gift where sometimes when you buy from Amazon, you're going to what, get that brown box and you're going to get the maybe, you know, filler in there, whether it's the bubble uh, pouches and then just their product and an invoice, right? Where I think, you know, as a seller, even on Amazon, I think at times, you know, maybe you can do something a little bit extra and have an added bonus or something in the package when you send it to someone or even just a note. When I buy off eBay, oftentimes I get some kind of a special coupon or a special note thanking me for my purchase. So trying to do what you can to go a little bit above and beyond. And like you said, acquisition costs are, are high. And if you can make somebody want to do business with you again, that's the way to really treat customers so that they want to come back and buy from me. Yeah, I mean, it's it would be virtually impossible to compete with a company like Amazon on, on price. 
and it's very difficult to compete with them on, on, on service as well if you're offering just a bog standard service. But you know, there are little things you can do to make your service that little bit more, um, I don't know, what's the word? Um, a little bit more personal. Uh, I regularly buy um, cycle equipment um, from um, a, a cycle retailer in the UK who occasionally throws a free gift into into a package. It may just be a packet of Haribo, but you know it, it shows that they're, they're thinking of the client just that little bit more. Perhaps there's a, a little sticky note thanking you for 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 the business. It's just taking that personalization that little bit further. Yeah, I like when I do that because I really do pay attention to customer service and when somebody treats you right, even if it's just an interaction at the counter, a food, fast food restaurant or a waiter or a waitress or somebody behind the counter at a retail store. Uh, it really makes me want to maybe go back there or if it's a negative experience, maybe not want to go back either to that location or to that specific brand again and it's all about those experiences and even if you spend a couple extra dollars with an extra gift just keep in mind that you're retaining or possibly creating a reoccurring customer like the the cycle gear example you gave you know that's just that little thing of like hey thank you for your purchase we want to make sure you feel special hey talking about cycling gear since since you've been in france have you um seen anything of the the tour de france this year I didn't really see the Tour de France, um, but I see a lot of cyclists around, obviously, and, and seems to be very popular. One thing I noticed is I read all these articles in the U.S. about you know road rage and people on bikes and you know, drivers feeling like they're taking up the road and they're aggressively passing them. Here in the U.S., I, mean, I think, yeah, they get aggressive and they maybe beep the horn and they go by and they're mad. But here it just seems like they just go around and they don't care. They don't stop. They don't beep. They just, no matter what, go around them. And if you're coming from the other direction, you have to watch out because those people, they don't care if someone's coming from the other side. They just go around them anyway. It's just like, I'm just going to pretend they're not there and just go around them, which is crazy to me. But uh, maybe it's more harmonious that way. I don't know. But I didn't catch the Tour de France. But I know that um, France is playing, what, Croatia, I think, this Sunday in uh, uh, soccer match and world cup and but i'm not going to be here i'm actually heading to switzerland this weekend okay oh you're going to miss out on um on a big party um or a big i don't know you know not party you know over the weekend uh, i think you know paris might be the place to be this weekend. well at least i'll be able to sleep john and then one night there was uh something going on and people were playing kazoos and banging pots and making so <laughs> much like three in the morning it was hard to sleep <laughs> Hey, so one of the reasons why I brought up the Tour de France is, um, you know, I often compare cycling to email marketing and, and content marketing because um, cycling is a very efficient form of, of transportation. Um, yeah, before the bike was invented, people either had to walk everywhere or, or take a horse and cart. And if you walked, you, you didn't get anywhere very fast. If you took a horse and cart, you always had to feed um, and stable um, that horse. After the bag was invented, the car came along, and we all know how expensive it is to run a car. You know, you might be noticing that a little bit more now you're in Europe, Hank, than you do in the US in terms of um, in terms of gas prices. Um, but the bike, you know, is you know, one of the most efficient machines um, ever made. Um, a human being can jump on a bike and travel you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 miles on the same calorific input they will put into their body as they do just to sit and watch television. So it's a very efficient method of transport. And I compare it to email marketing a lot on the, the blogs that I write on the eye contact site because 
email marketing is a very efficient uh, marketing channel. You, you don't have to put too much into it to drive um, a significant um, return. And I would say um, if you are new to email marketing or you're just playing around with the idea of getting involved with email marketing, but I, I would say it's 40 years old this year. Where have you been? Um, but I would also say, you know, you can, you can try email marketing for absolutely nothing. All of iContact's products are free to try with a 30-day free trial. You don't even need to put a credit card into the system. Um, we, we just want you to try the system and to love it as much as we do. Right, and talking about efficiency, we have phone, email, and chat support. So if you need assistance, we're definitely there to help you along the way. You can get someone live on the phone that's going to talk you through uh, the assistance that you need, or maybe it's just some kind of strategy that you're looking to figure out on your next email. Therefore, you know, you're going to have a customer success manager. You're going to have a support team that's always behind you. And then you have John and I always instructing you on the best things to do on the blog and on this podcast. Yeah, think of us as your, your training wheels while you find the balance <laughs> like and start that. moving in, in the right direction. Awesome. So it talks a bit about um, yeah, email turning 40 and that very first email marketing campaign that was sent out um, that went to your know, 400 names. Um, now, obviously, that was opened by probably everybody that received that to generate you know the, the kind of return it actually did. But... Do open rates actually matter, Hank? It's funny. It's like, yes, it's, it's a gauge. And I think what you need to do is look at your trends. Like, you know, are you trending up? Are you trending down? But going for that 30, 60, 90% open rate, I think you're chasing the wrong item because really what you want to do is not only get somebody to open an email, you need to get them to click through and take action, whether it's reading an article on your blog, whether it's uh, putting something in the shopping cart and then buying it or contacting you maybe via phone or a contact form to use your service. I think ultimately the end of the day, like your click to open rates or, you know, using Google analytics to figure out actually, you know, the total funnel, you know, completion, that's what you need to look at at the, at the end because marketing is a cohesive process where you're, your list acquisition, your email creation, your sending your email, and then looking at your metrics is important. But at the end of the day, you need to convert. And if you're not converting, you can have the highest open rates and, and then people go to a landing page or something and they don't convert. Therefore, your open rates don't matter. But like I said, I think you need to really measure on whether you're trending high or low based on previous sends or maybe somebody in your industry. Uh, but don't make that the end-all be-all when it goes to... Uh, you know, looking at your metrics. Yeah, I'm always suspicious when people look towards the benchmarks of, of, of their competitors to see what their open rates are and their conversion rates are, etc. You know, you can go on to um, the internet and you can do a quick search on Google for your typical open rates for you know, a retailer, typical open rates for a financial services company. And, you know, there will be loads of content out there. But if you're comparing yourself to others, you may be comparing yourself to somebody who isn't necessarily following best practices. So the open rate in your industry might be 15%. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean that you should think if you're getting an open rate of 16 17%, you're successful. The only person you should really compare yourself against is yourself. So if you are currently getting an open rate of 16 17%, push for 20 If you're currently getting one of 20 push yourself for, for 30. Um, 
I think that all comes down to well, targeting for one um, and, and testing and just getting better at producing you know, great subject lines, great creative copy and, and great calls to action as well. One of the best open rates I've ever seen on an email was, you know, an open rate of, of 60%. And it's perhaps telling that that email was only sent to, you know, 50 or 60 people, but the targeting was absolutely perfect, um, which is why so many people opened that campaign. So it's not a numbers net game. It's not just, you know, hitting your entire list with, yeah, a bog standard message. It's about knuckling down and figuring out what people want to hear from you. Right. I think it's, we always mention sending the right message to the right person at the right time. And I love the fact that you said you're competing against yourself. And I think that's a good mantra to live by because it's important to measure your success and your growth. It's like somebody going into business and not looking at their, their P&L or profit and loss sheet. Like how much are they spending versus how much they're bringing in? Some business owners only worry about how much money am I making? They don't worry about how much money they're spending. Therefore, two, three years later, they're going out of business because they're not making any profit. They make money, but they're not making profit. And you, know, you were talking about open rates and a high open rate of you know 60%, you know, one that you saw, you know, I think in the previous episodes, you know, we definitely talked about the ultimate subject line guide that I contact put together, where there's examples of very high open rates, anywhere from 30 to I think the highest one is like 90 something percent. That was to a very small, uh, highly engaged list. But your subject lines matter when you're sending these emails, because that's the first thing people see, and that's going to make them open it. And you want to make sure that, you know, every Everything is cohesive from your subject line to your content. And then, you know, the subject line is going to get somebody to open it first. And maybe that person that received your email for the first time, they're going to open. But then you want to get people to continue to open. And then also what's in the body keeps people coming back down the road. So it's the joint of your subject line as well as your content for people that have received more than one email. Yeah, I think... What you're saying there as well about you know people worrying about how much money they're making and not how much profit they're earning is the whole you know turnover versus profit um, your know, question you know, you know, vanity versus sanity and it's certainly <laughs> something I see a lot in online retail um, particularly I see a lot of people throwing a lot of money at, at marketing and just aiming for you know those big you know, dollars, pounds, or euros in, in terms of sale, and they're not looking at their cost of acquisition. And again, looking at Amazon Prime and looking at eBay, where those acquisition costs are incredibly high, I meet a lot of busy fools that, particularly in the run-up to, to the holidays or, or Christmas, uh, they see a huge spike in, in, in turnover. And then when they get to January or February, it drops off a cliff. And they find it made very little profit. So, yeah, profit is what you need to be looking at. Yes, you want growth. Yes, you want to increase your turnover. But you want to be as efficient as possible. It's not um, turnover and growth at any 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 cost. 
Right. The the best point you made was, you know, you need to target the folks that you want to buy from you. There's no need to spend a lot of money on advertising or even email marketing and just blasting out one message to everyone that's the same. What you want to try to do is either personalize it or put in content that's relevant to them. It's almost like if you own a brick and mortar store and you're standing outside your store trying to direct people into your store and you sell shampoo and you don't care if they're bald or if they have long hair, you just want to direct them in, right? Well, you know, you, that person could buy a gift. But what I'm saying is you don't want to target people that are not in your demographic or are not going to buy from you because it's a waste of time. It's a waste of money and sometimes a, a, a waste of resources. Sure. And I think a very important thing to remember is there's no such thing as expensive or cheap marketing. There's marketing that works and there's marketing that doesn't work. And, you know, business owners are constantly being sold advertising and marketing products, which are, quite frankly, no use to them. You know, they're, they're buying that space in the local newspaper or they're buying that radio advert or they're buying that booth or that trade, store, that trade event. And it's not putting them in front of, of the right customers. Or if it is putting them in front of the right customers, it's not putting them in front of enough of the right customers to justify the price. So... Whenever you're spending money on any form of marketing, it's really important that you understand what the return on investment is. And if you don't know what the return on investment is, I think there's an old cliche that says 50% of my marketing works, 50% of my marketing doesn't work, I just don't know which 50%. That's not true anymore. Anything that you generate online can be tracked and it should be tracked. And if you're not tracking it, you should stop spending money on it now until you can start tracking it. And even offline sales can be tracked as well if you use coupons or you use your different telephone numbers. You know, there, there are ways of, of tracking offline sales. So you know, think about how you're spending your money. You mentioned you know, 50%, 50% or 50-50 split. You know, what are your thoughts on split testing? And do you think marketers can use that to find out if they are spending their marketing money wisely? Yeah, well, I, I believe everything should be tested in this day and age. And I believe the business is a process of, of, of testing. You know, you need to test markets to see if, if, if they work. And there isn't um, any need anymore to, for, for many businesses, certainly, to, you know, to go out um, with an offering to a huge audience at extreme cost um, and to see if it works. Typically, in the olden days, you would come up with a business idea, you would go to the bank manager, you would borrow a lot of money to promote this one good idea. It would take a year, maybe two years, three years, to see if that idea had come to fruition. And when it doesn't, you know, what's your only option? You go back to the bank manager, you ask for more money, and... <laughs> Eventually, you know, the chances are it probably fails. And, you know, after three or four years, everybody has to go home. Nowadays, you can take an idea, you can put it online. Um, now, that could be via Amazon, or it could be via eBay or Etsy or on your own site. Um, you can use um, sites like Eventbrite. There are numerous ways you can test an idea. You can put it in front of an audience and, and see if it works. If it works, great. You look at it, you optimize it. You, you, you make tweaks here and there, you test them, you put them in front of a slightly larger audience and you grow that way. If it doesn't work, you go back to the drawing board and come back with uh, another great idea. You know, it's, it's not a process of 
investing a lot of money anymore. I think any business can be built by, by floating ideas and, and, and constant testing and, and optimization. Yeah, and with email marketing, it's easy to take a certain portion of your list, maybe you know twenty percent, or uh, basically we call it a, a 10, 10, 80. You take ten percent of your list, you send them one version of an email, and that can be testing one subject line versus another, or even just content, and then take the other ten percent, and then have the second subject line if we're going to talk about subject lines, and then see over a period of maybe twenty four to forty eight hours which one has higher open rates because the subject line usually is indicative of open rates, and then you take the winner, whichever one does better, and you send it to the remaining 80%. I used to work with a client and he said, I don't know why everyone does not use split testing because it's like getting free opens with every email send. And I, I say that every chance I get because I think that that's a powerful statement. Yeah, without, without doubt, I, I am kind of a great believer that you should split test every single email you send. Now, obviously, not everybody has the, the time to do that, but you know you should take the opportunity to do it at least a couple of times a month and and learn from the experience. Um, also, segmenting your list as well and you know not sending to your full list is a great way to you know, to test ideas. You know, don't you know test an unproven strategy in front of your entire list. Test it in front of your ten percent, twenty percent. And, and beta test the, um, the idea, if you like. Also, it enables you to put the right systems in place behind it so you can serve those customers' needs. So when you do reach out to your full list or full segment of your list, you know everything will run smoothly. Right, and make sure, for the most part, you really only test one element, like whether it's a subject line or something in the body, whether it's images or a phrase or something like that, because if you test too many elements, you're not going to know which one actually moved the needle. Yeah, exactly. You can only test like for like. That's right. And, you know, eye contact has a split testing tool that's easy to use. Almost any ESP will. Um, and we can help you through that if you need it. And it's, it's like I said, easy to implement. And I don't know why you would not do it at least once per month, if not every email. Maybe if you're sending once a week or once a month, you definitely can do that. But if you're sending multiple times a week, it's a little bit harder. Hey, on the subject of, um, of open rates and do open rates matter, sometimes they don't matter. Um, sometimes you know, an email doesn't even have to be consumed to be successful. Um, sometimes just getting um, that email into the inbox is enough. And I make this assumption based on um, my previous career in newspapers going back you know, more than 20 years ago now. My very first job in newspapers was selling classified advertising. Those were the small adverts at the, um, the back of the paper. But, you know, for the car traders and for the plumbers and the gardeners uh, and so on. And classified advertising worked because, A, it was targeted. Every advert was under its own classification. And, you know, B, it was repetitive. You know, people saw the same adverts every single day. Now, you would see that advert for the plumber in the newspaper every single day, but you wouldn't phone the plumber until your kitchen sink leaked. Right. And it's exactly the same with email marketing as well. You might be a travel agent selling you know, holidays to Provence in France. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't mean somebody is going to open that and buy it straight away. But if you're sending out you know, targeted messages which are consistent in their language, you know, when somebody comes to find you think, hey, I'd like to go on holiday and you know, I'd really like to go to France. 
I know a guy that sells holidays to France. You will be that first person they refer to because you'll be front of mind. Right. I believe in brand recognition and using even the subject line or the from email address for brand recognition. But there's a difference between using the subject line of everything on the site, 50% off this Sunday, it kind of gives it away. They don't even have to open it. They can go back where maybe if you used you know, special discounts this weekend, look inside for more details that would actually create the open what you want because you want that engagement to make sure that your open rates stay healthy and you're getting into more inboxes and not spam and get them to open and read that email and don't give everything away in the subject line but then again you know it is a good branding opportunity i guess you know one thing i would want to talk about as well is you know be that doer don't be the planner because you know planners plan while your doers are, are, are making money. And I meet a lot of people in business who spend a lot of time planning while the competitors are making money. So, you know, start building that list today. Start sending those campaigns out today. Start testing your emails um, today. You know, take a risk. What's the worst thing that can happen? Think about what Gary did with those first email marketing sends um, 40 years ago today. He didn't know whether it would work. He took a risk. And hey, it really works out really well for him. Um, don't be like Gary, though. Don't be a spammer because that won't work out so well anymore. Just you know, <laughs> you know, be engaging, be relevant, be timely, send the right message to the right person at the right time, and you can't go wrong. Right, but don't misconstrue what John just said there. You know, being a doer, not a planner. Some things require planning, but then you plan and then you do. And basically what we're saying is just get out there and try and just do it, right? Yeah. Take action, in other words. Just get started. If you haven't started using email marketing, just start doing it. Get that first email out. You know, if you haven't done anything on Instagram before because it's a popular channel, go out and just, just do it. Create a channel. Um, you know, the early stuff I've done on YouTube uh, or on Instagram, is not as great quality as it is now and you learn and people are not going to judge you for that so get that first email out the door even if it doesn't look great you can move on from there and tweak it and make it look better but just get out there and take action yeah i think um a great example of that is um you know, gary vaynerchuk he's you know obviously a very high profile marketeer um, his approach to YouTube when it first started you know, wasn't great. He actually describes his early YouTube videos as hostage videos. Um, I'm a great believer in good enough is good enough. And it's very much the process that we're taking with these podcasts. You know, we are sticking our toe in the water and we're trying it out and we're seeing what works and we're seeing what doesn't work. And, you know, as time goes on, we will get better. That's right. And hopefully, you know, you and I'll get a lot better with this podcasting and we'll provide the best value and people will catch on to it and keep tuning in. And we hope you love what we're doing. Uh, if you want to give us any feedback, we do have an email address set up podcast at icontact.com. And you can always go to icontact.com slash podcast for the show notes and other information and learn about John and I some more and connect with us. But Definitely give us some feedback if you have it and rate and review us on any channel that you consume us on. Yep. And we're also available to chat on, on Twitter as well, um, either at iContact um, or you can contact myself personally, John underscore W underscore Hayes, or you can contact Hank on. Hank Hoffmeyer. We'd really like to thank everybody for joining us and talking about email marketing. We'll be back um, next week. Um, until then, 
please check out icontact.com. And if you're new to email marketing, remember we have a free 30-day trial, no credit cards required. Just dip your toe in the water, you know, rely on our customer support to get you started, and hey, we might make you a more efficient marketeer. Yeah, it doesn't take 40 years of experience to send an email. So my name is John Hayes. And my name is Hank Hoffmeyer. And with that, we say cheers, y'all. Cheers.